Whether you identify as a queer person or a straight person, the very idea of achieving LGBTQIA equity feels like an uphill battle. As uphill as saying LGBTQIA the first time and getting it right. Maybe it's because public conversations about sex and sexuality have historically been taboo. It's easy to ask yourself, why should I put my energies into helping to make this social shift? And so we might ask ourselves, how do we enter into the work in a way that is deeply respectful, that allows us to ask questions even when we feel uncomfortable or insecure about how we phrase it? Most of us have chosen to acknowledge it, but also kind of ignore it. And I mean, maybe you had a single class in middle school or high school that talked about queerness, maybe a passing mention in a college course. And my favorite is the veiled directives in worship spaces. Occasionally the uncomfortable joke around friends and family. So the need for a full on comprehensive sexuality education conversation is evident, at least to me. Let's take the time to do so for the good of our lives with and among each other, and especially the LGBTQIA members of our families and communities. It is from an informed posture that we can see, appreciate, and live in community with one another equitably, fairly, and justly. Today, Melvin Bray of Collaborative Consulting leads a panel with Cedric Harmon from Many Voices and myself, Crystal Cheatham, from Our Bible App. Welcome to The Pre-Work, a limited podcast series about being in relationship with one another. Part one of this podcast focuses on the somewhat divergent ways BIPOC and white folks can prepare to go on an equity journey together, while part two tackles justice and equity, but for queer and straight folks. I'm your host, your narrator, and sometimes panelist, Crystal Cheatham, alongside Melvin Bray, who serves as our interviewer. And now, Melvin. Toward the beginning of June 2015, I was co-facilitating a gathering of movement organizers, faith-based justice orgs, and funders focused on issues of racial justice. It so happened that half the people in the room were queer. Because of this, I was given a privilege not enough straight cisgendered people ever have. I got to bear witness to the heart longings of those who had given years of blood, sweat, and tears to the Love Wins Marriage Equality Campaign. I got to learn from people's lived experiences the very practical ways in which their lives had been negatively impacted by not being legally recognized as a spouse. Then, On June 26, 2015, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the 14th Amendment did indeed guarantee the spousal rights of U.S. citizens in same-sex marriages. Love won. Coming into that summer, I was completely clueless that history was about to be made. What I learned that day was that More important than the history made were the possibilities that were opened up for people I had spent the previous few years getting to know and love and admire for the goodness that they were seeking in the world. When I think back to how the us versus them mentality 
about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression was cultivated in me by my faith tradition. One of the foundational pieces was that I thought of queerness, which we didn't call queerness back then, because at the time, queer was considered a slur, as other than normal, a deviation from the mean, a perversion. In fact, by making ourselves the default, as straight folk, we left ourselves completely ignorant to an understanding of our own sexual orientation and gender identity and gender expression. All too often, we held ourselves to toxic notions of who we were meant to be and closed ourselves off to the full spectrum of all the possible ways we could be fully human. I don't want my children, any more children, growing up, trying to live up to that sort of straight-jacketed way of thinking about themselves. It's abusive. And I am extremely grateful to have conversation partners like Crystal Cheatham, founding curator of Our Bible App, and Cedric Harmon, founding educator for Many Voices, to help me be a better ally. Hello, Crystal Cheatham here. I know I wear many hats in the making of these episodes. I just want to offer some guidance on some terminology we will be using during this candid conversation that you may not know or simply need a refresher on. Let's start with the word queer. We use this as an umbrella term to refer to anyone who identifies as LGBTQIA and the culture that goes along with it. It's been reclaimed by the queer community and is a term we are comfortable with straight folks using as well. Let's move on to the second term, LGBTQIA is an acronym which stands for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer, Intersex, and Asexual. Our third term is heteronormativity. Heteronormativity is the belief that heterosexuality is the default, preferred, or normal mode of sexual orientation. It assumes that gender is binary and that sexual and marital relations are most fitting between people of opposite sex. Let's move on to what it means to be cisgender. A cisgender person is a person whose gender identity matches their sex assigned at birth. For example, someone who identifies as a woman and identifies as female at birth is a cisgender woman. The word cisgender is the antonym of transgender. Which begs the question, what does it mean to be non-binary and gender non-conforming? Well, this is gender variance. Gender variance, or gender nonconformity, is behavior or gender expression by an individual that does not match masculine or feminine gender norms. And that wraps up the terms for this discussion. I'll see you guys on the other side. So if we're going to commit to this journey of equity together, um, what should we enter into the journey of equity already understanding about our own sexual orientation? And I'm going to break this up, right? Like we'll talk about, about, about gender and gender expression too, but, but just on, as it relates to sexual orientation, whether I am gay or straight or whatever falls on that spectrum, what is it I need to understand to walk with other folk who, 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 who have a different sexual orientation than I. 
You know what? Right off the bat, I think when was the earliest moment you realized who you were attracted to, right? And and for most of us, that was something that happened early on when it just became a feeling. It just became a knowing. And 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 for for most straight people, it was just a thing that they brushed off. Like it never even occurred to them that it could be uh, deviant in any way. You know, I really, I really think the work of thinking about that moment, that first crush and just how pure it was and how real it was to you and how overwhelming it was to you can give you a sense of, of what it is like to be queer because it's the same thing, but yet you as a straight person didn't have to think about it, didn't have to clock it as a significant moment in your life. Think about whether what it would be like if you did have to clock it as a significant moment in your life. That is something that each queer person has to, has to deal with, has to figure out, well, how am I gonna tell everybody about this, this variance in, in, in my orientation? And if you can start to wrap your mind around that, maybe the maybe you'll have a, a, a greater empathy. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, one of one of the things that comes to me, Crystal, out of that is, you know, part of taking this journey is is minding your own business. <laughs> hey, you said it not but amen to that. <laughs> and not not feeling like you need to know all the ins and outs of the of, of people's sexual orientation. One of the other things around sexual orientation is for some people, not for all people, that initial crush or their sense of their sexual orientation as they grow, it remains the same throughout their whole life. For some people, that is true. For some people, their sexual orientation is fluid in that the example that comes to mind is the woman when I was doing a teaching several years ago who said, you know, I had been married to my husband for over 30 years and he passed away. And I loved that man. And then I met this woman and I believe she's the only woman on this earth that I would fall in love with because I fell in love with her. Mm. Her experience is valid and true. You are attracted to who you're attracted to. You love who you love. Sometimes that love becomes a deeply romantic love. And sometimes it becomes a deeply romantic and erotic love that is the love of your life. And that is perfectly all right. Because that is the truth for you. This whole notion of gay hysteria, because a brother looks at another brother or a woman looks at another woman, and then you just freak out like, oh, the whole world is turned upon. They're just saying, I'm attracted to you. Your response is your response. <laughs> yeah. They're really that? not infringing upon you. They're just how, saying, you know, hey. <laughs> how about that? Right? Like, like you know, <laughs> that reminds panicking? me. That reminds me of high school, right? Like that remind I, you know, I, I went to a boarding academy, you know, with a bunch of guys up in the dorm. 
you know, stuff start, you know, all this this commentary starts to go around about who 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 you suspect is might be might be gay and so on and all this other nonsense. And you know, I don't want to be in the shower with them. And and what we always, I mean, like it it just occurred to me as natural as rain, like, what does his being gay have to do with you? And 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 the real question is. How are you responding, right? Like, cause, right. <laughs> so I mean, let's let's turn the same. Let's let's talk about gender identity and gender expression, right? Like, um, and ask the same question: What is it that we should enter into if if we're going to be on a journey together, knowing that that means that there are people who are identifying in ways that are different than what I would put on them, what I might think about them. And there are people who are expressing their identities in ways that, that if I were expressing that same identity, I might find troubling or I might, you know, just doesn't work for me, right? Like, what do I need to know about how I comport myself? in a world where I'm not the center of all things, in order to make room for folk unlike myself on the journey together, on an equity journey together. Well, let's look at gender identity. Um, a person's internal sense of their gender. That is just a reality that all of us operate and we, and we have a gender identity. It's an internal sense of who we are. Sometimes it matches the biological and the sex assigned at birth. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't for a host of reasons. Um, Cause all of us are born with chromosomes. There's a genetic reality. And so you can't see a person's chromosomes walking around. So if someone expresses what to you seems, well, that's not what I expected. Yeah. Happy surprise. It's just not what you expected. It's not going to damage you in any way. I think there's also this morality factor of you think that you have the power to call out when somebody is doing something wrong. And so you need to point out the the inherent badness there, right? And mm. I know that this, that this idea is, is um, propagated by religion. Mm -hmm. it, and it, it comes from religious circles that push for gender roles. A, a man must do this and present himself this way and a woman must do this and present herself this way and there's nothing in the middle. And it bestows on you this this elitism to be able to say what fits and what doesn't, to be able to put people into their place, you are right and you are wrong. And so when you come into that bathroom situation, that elitism comes back up and you feel the moral power to judge whether somebody belongs there or not. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The work mm. that I get to do with our Bible app challenges that. Yeah. right and yeah. says you're not the moral elite voice in the room just yeah. because 
you know, religion has been spoken on by cisgendered straight folks, right? Yeah. We're saying that religion and the Bible and, you know, whatever religion you are in can also be dictated by and created by people who fit these, these variances that you're so uncomfortable with. Yeah. yeah. And so if I could say you could, well, you should walk away with one thing, it is the ability to check yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. Sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression. The fact of the matter is this. Because you see someone expressing their gender a particular way, by their dress, by their hairstyle, by the makeup that they wear or do not wear, does not give you a real sense of their sexual orientation at all. Mm, mm. That's so useful. We conflate these and we make yes. them all one and the same. Yeah. We really do. And that's that's just not it's not accurate. Yeah. So a trans man may be attracted to and in relationship with a cisgender woman, with a trans woman, or with a man, or yeah. with a trans man. Yeah. You yeah. don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's not an indication. And so we need to understand that the reason that we have these three separate terms and we define them very specifically is so that we have a clearer understanding of what we're talking about and who we are encountering so that we can encounter one another with love and respect. I love that. I love that. And that brings me to like even the rationale for pre-work, right? Um, one of the things I've learned over the years, um, which seems so simple to me now, but sadly at one time wasn't, um, is the importance of not putting LGBTQIA folks in the position where they have to validate or justify their sense of self. Have you had to wrestle with that kind of? Absolutely. Um, as a, an out lesbian, somebody who, um, you know, is not afraid to let folks know where I'm at. Um, I have experienced that quite a bit. And, you know, I'm thinking even on like a, a micro level where um, I take a date to a restaurant or go to a quote unquote straight bar with my girlfriend and have to think, you know, how. How close can we be before this is something that we have to put, we have to start actively ignoring the looks, the glances, um, maybe the conversations, the confusion, the gawking. Um, and it, it does take a toll on a human, on a person trying to just live their life. Um, mm. It's a, it's a lot of work. And I think that in coming out and healing, 
um, so many LGBTQ people just decide not to engage with uh, heteronormativity or, or uh, cisgender crowds because of that feeling that you always have to either conform or you will be seen as strongly bucking the the norm you know the social norm the social contract is is mm -hmm. that men look like masculine men and women look like masculine women and uh opposite genders attract and so we have to continue with that model and as a queer person it is extremely hard um to spend your your days you know, walking through this world that, that has made very little room for you. We're at a time and a place where the divisions in our church worlds are, are tearing us apart, you know, and um, it's going to take more than just the, the one or two queer people staying in their congregation. It's going to take those congregations saying, you know what, brother, I love you. And we're going to, we're going to, do the pre-work. That's why we're all here, right? We're going to do the pre-work so that we can learn to accept and affirm you um, and make this space uh, comfortable for you. I mean, yeah, what a great, great question. So what Crystal was pointing to towards the end of the response is this notion of accommodating the external pressure just in order to be present. So I want to be a part of this faith community, this church community. And in order for me to do that, I have to sublimate, push down, deny aspects of myself in order to be a part of this community that I so desire to be a part of. And some choose to do that because belonging to the community feels really, really, really important. And the question I always ask it is then, are you really bringing your full self to the community that you're pressing so hard to be a part of? So loving oneself uh, and becoming, doing the first work to love yourself, to know that you are a design, divine, beloved gift from the divine to the world in all of your expression, you are a gift. Yeah. And when you really believe that, you live from that place of I bring me and me is wonderful and a gift and is blessed. And the external saying the other to me, saying something opposite of that, no, that's not true because what I know is true is that I'm a gift. I want people to understand that even with all the best intentions, you're going to fuck up. Not only are you going to mess up, you're going to mess up in ways that actually do harm. Because there are certain things that are so deeply written in us that we have to purge ourselves of. And that purging doesn't happen all at once. That purging doesn't happen just because you, 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 of a decision that's made. It is a practice over time. And I'm thinking about the practice that created this casual dehumanization in the first place, right? Like many of us grew up with the implicit or explicit notion that queerness 
was aberrant. And I'm, I ask this question not because I think you have to have all the answers for a straight folk, um, but rather because I imagine in the work that you do, you've learned some things about this. But I, 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 the question is fairly simple. Like, where is someone supposed to put, and I guess this is true of both queer folk and straight folk, where have you seen or where do you imagine or what has your work taught you about where people are supposed to put those kinds of dehumanizing and invalidating theologies or stories? So the first time I read Charles Dickens, I noticed what I noticed the first read. Then I read the book again and I noticed all these things that I missed. Hmm. And I read it a third time, because actually we read lots of Charles Dickens when I was in school. And I noticed even more things that I hadn't noticed the first time around, none of which devalued my first reading. It's just that I missed a whole lot in my first reading. Mm. And I didn't throw all of Charles Dickens away. I recognized that each time I read, I brought a different lens to my reading and I brought a different set of experiences and I had grown and I had changed and I had new frames of reference. And those frames of reference informed my ability to see things that I didn't see the first time. What I'm suggesting is that with regard to harmful, hurtful, sometimes terrorizing texts and theologies, we need to name and accept that they are harmful, terrorizing, unloving, and unkind aspects of something that we value in total, but these are problematic texts. Mm -hmm. And we should not pretend that they are not. And I want to suggest that we bring to our reading, especially of sacred and holy text, that we bring a hermeneutic of curiosity as opposed to a hermeneutic of certainty. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Cedric. Um, I think the flip side of that, and I think you talk about uh, the the biblical approach so well. Um, the flip side is the relational, you know, the yeah. the social um, interaction, and you know I've talked about this quite a bit, and the only thing that really comes to mind is this metaphor of. Um, of, you know, say your, your child comes out to you and um, even though you've been able to look past the queer people on the street or the queer person at the church or the queer person that you work with, somehow your child coming out to you changes things and a light switch goes off. And all of this, the the ingrown uh, frustration with um, queer people not looking a certain way, you know, all of the, the judgment that you have about um, boys and men switching their hips and, and, you know, girls or women looking too like that way, all of a sudden it just starts to, to boil up inside of you. Yeah. And, and honestly, just, just like, um, lancing a boil, hmm. that pus has to come out, you know, 
you can't you can't hold it in you can't um keep it inside and expect yourself to get healthy somehow you know mm. if uh, if you're going through that kind of of situation what you need to do is is um find somebody strong enough to listen to help you be corrected and uh you know therapy is amazing at that but also you know small groups at your church with uh, with a counselor small groups at a or a, or or learning um diversity trainings where you're able to ask the most offhandish crazy questions that are not acceptable when you're sitting across from another child of god you know you should be able to find a place to ask those things to let it out to lance the boil and then allow the healing to begin i came out to my mother and the first thing she said to me after some of the shock fell away was your father would roll over in his grave and that hurt so much yeah. but in the moment i thought you can't possibly mean that because our love is just so deep i love you mom and i know that you love me and um it was 2 weeks later that we sat down and had a real conversation about it and she told me that this was not going to be an issue for her that she was going to figure it out um and mm. it i think that she had to say something like that you know that was her reaction that was her her truth um and we were lucky enough that it didn't tear us apart but it allowed us to grow you know not to say that you need to go out and say the most hurtful things you could possibly think of um but that uh what you're thinking those negative things that you're thinking about the queer community uh you need to air them you need to you need to actual you need to realize them um otherwise they will just show up as microaggressions and you'll end up hurting people even worse the questioning is real and it's scary why is it so scary what is it that 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 we're trying to avoid what do we miss what what does a comprehensive sexual sexual education uh teach us that might help us not be so averse so i think the the fear is who i know myself to be and the way i have constructed my world to operate is being challenged and that does not feel comfortable to me as opposed to have i taken the time to get to know myself mm and comprehensive sexuality education through the our whole lives curriculum which is what i i refer to and am trained in um through the united church of christ and the unitarian universalist association foundations helps us again level that playing field hey every child that is born every baby that comes into this world comes into this world unique and special and different and at the moment of birth we start layering things onto that child mhm mm that baby and then that baby grows and develops and starts expressing who that baby is mhm mm and and our dreams and hopes for that baby do not define what and who that child is going to grow up to be it didn't do it for us so the curriculum helps us go back to when is the earliest time you remember exploring your own body the earliest and what did that feel like for you 
And when did you realize that people define the world as boys and girls, male and female? When was the first earliest messages of that? And what did that mean to you? And so what it helps us break apart is the ways that we have pushed down aspects of ourselves in order to fit in with yeah. the expectations that are laid upon us. And if you've pushed this down for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and suddenly you're confronted with opening up the conversation that you thought you had settled 50 years ago about yeah. who you conceive yourself to be, that becomes sure. really problematic. And therefore the fear reaction, the fight, flight, or freeze reaction kicks in real quick. Mm -hmm. Oh no, this is what a man is. You're my son. You're going to be my son the way I conceive of my son being because you're my son. Yeah. And that's the reaction, right? Yeah. But it's yeah. really more of an internal reality about this is who I conceive of me to be and mm -hmm. the way my world is supposed to operate. Mm -hmm. And Crystal, I, I want to follow up on this, uh, this, this, this thing you said about um, lancing the boil and the pus having to come out. Um, and the thing that, that, that immediately came to me as you were saying that is that the pus doesn't have to all come out all on, on, the queer folk in our lives, right? Yes, like, sir. like, right. like this is, this is perhaps good work for straight folk to do with straight Together. folk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Don't hurt your children like that. Don't, don't, uh, but you know, it has to come out someplace so that it has to come out in the right place so that you don't say it in the wrong place so that you don't, you know, Honestly, if, if, you know, even myself, when I, you know, I was, I was raised in a, in a, in a church environment that was very, very gendered. Women did this, men did this, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. even when I came out as a lesbian, that's what I saw, you know, I am a woman and I was so proud of it. And you are a man and that's fine. I'm not interested, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but there was very little room. There was very little room for the, for the in-between, for the trans person, for the gender non-conforming person. And, um, you know, even a while after I had come out, I started engaging with this, with this transgender community and had so much learning to do, you know, and had to, uh, find the right groups that I could spill my guts with and and say those those uh, those hurtful uh, disgusting things that I had been keeping in my heart let it come out and realize you know that is hate that that is that is hurting me to think that way about a human being and it is keeping me from having and being in relationships with these amazing souls it's keeping me from asking for being curious about their experience, about wondering how it impacts my own experience. You know, mm. you know, am, am, am I really as feminine as I think I am? Or is that just something I've been trained to be, uh, to wear dresses? And I can tell you that, that my deconstruction of my uh, gender expression has come, I mean, full circle. I mean, it's, it's crazy how, how, uh, how much I love myself now that I'm not forcing myself to, to look the picture of femininity. And, you know, I, it's such a beautiful experience that 
I hope those listening to, to us talk about this will take that journey on for themselves um, because it, it allows you to be part of a whole new world of, of folks who are learning to love unconditionally. Yes, yes. The same happens in my mind. This is my, my belief. The same is true around race, that the gift of deconstructing uh, white supremacist ideologies mm -hmm. is that you have access to a wealth of humanity's expression in different ethnicities. Yes, yes. These are, these are walls and fences that are constructed that keep us from one another. Mm -hmm. and, and I hope that this work is helping people realize that there's pre-work to building the bridge so that we can actually interact with one another more fully and gain the gifts in both ways uh, that we can accrue if we just get outside of these stuck places that we have lived in for so doggone long. How might you suggest that queer folks begin detoxing from any internalized oppression they may be holding, um, particularly queer folks of color? And, 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 and straight folks might begin to detox from this notion of being default, right? Um, how, what are the ways, you, you've talked about some for sure, but are there other ways, other, other work that we can start involving ourselves in, in order to, in, in, in order to begin to make progress around those? You know, one of, the, one of the solutions I think has been, has become my life's work, which is uh, our Bible app and um, creating a conversation around uh, these things that, are well outside of, of church walls, you know? So in our Bible app, we have not one, but two shelves dedicated to the LGBTQ experience. And ultimately what these authors are doing is, uh, is normalizing the queer experience in a spiritual context. Yeah, yeah. Um, they are writing and using Bible stories and Bible verses, and uh, they are theologizing their own personal experiences and showing you, the reader, how you are holy, how you are okay, how you are uh, blessed and beloved and favored above, um, uh, above among men. It is, it is a priceless thing to finally be able to see yourself in a, uh, in, a, in a holy book that has been used uh, for, I wanna say centuries, <laughs> decades, if not centuries, to- uh, Millennia? Millennia, yes <laughs> you, to beat you down, to show you how marginalized you truly are. And um, if you are a queer person who is trying to detox from the internalized homophobia and transphobia, I would say to, uh, to download that resource and start to actually use it for yourself. Thank you, Crystal. Um, uh, fortunately, we're in the 21st century and we're not in the 1970s when mm. I came along. Mm. So now we live in the 21st century when the name James Baldwin is on many, many people's lips and more and more people know who Bayard Rustin is and uh, people know who Nina Simone is and was and 
They know about Lorraine Hansberry. And so there's a wealth of knowledge around people who have been public and out and people who have written and recorded about our lived experience. And so representation actually truly does matter. Seeing, hearing, and knowing that there's someone like you in the world is really important. It reinforces that you're not the unicorn in the world uh, and there's no one else like you. But also liking yourself, liking who you are and then loving yourself. Not just saying I love me, but actually doing loving things toward yourself is really, really key. Uh, Taking care of yourself, being honest and truthful, uh, dealing with your frustrations honestly and truthfully, and having a community where you can share those experiences with, which is why the ballroom experience was so key for the survival of our community, because where else could we go to have reinforcement that said we're okay and that we're loved and valued? And our family sometimes threw us away, so we had to find places and create spaces that felt like family and where we were loved and embraced and affirmed and celebrated. Celebrate the heck out of life, because it's a gift. Celebrate the heck out of your gender expression and gender identity, because it's a gift. And celebrate the heck out of your sexual orientation, because it's a holy gift given to you. And it is to be celebrated and embraced and loved and respected. Mutuality and respect, consent and boundaries are key words to taking care of ourselves. And so when Mm -hmm. we choose to engage romantically, erotically, affectionately, and sexually with someone, that's our choice and decision. No one should enforce that decision upon us. It's our choice and our decision. And we should experience pleasure and joy because it's about pleasure and joy, not abuse and harm. Mm. Mm. This has been a pretty good day's worth of work. For our listeners, this is... Cedric Harmon. Krista Cheatham. And Melvin Bray. We'll continue helping you pack your bags for your equity journey tomorrow. In the time being, be good to yourself and to others. Thank you for tuning in with us. There's a lot to think about, and so we've packed you a little bag to help you in the coming days as you reflect. Consider watching Visible, out on television. It's on Apple TV+. We will continue to add resources to your backpack with each episode. You can also find the links in the podcast show notes or on the pre-work shelf in our Bible app. The pre-work is a product of Being in Relationship, a program of Auburn Seminary. It has been edited and produced by Crystal Cheatham of our Bible app.